Eve. Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Vicky. Hello, Katie. And welcome, George. Hello again. What's that time? <laughs> this, is, this is so good. George is a returning guest. And if you haven't listened to his first episode, firstly, you should. But secondly, I want to let Vicky introduce him shortly again. And I hope in her intro, she's got that he used to live in a zoo because that's an excellent story. <laughs> Um, but until that point, thank you, Cherry. Thank you, Rupert, there. <laughs> if you haven't joined us before, we are Strong Tea. Uh, Strong Tea is a podcast which was set up to talk about the things that matter, the taboo topics, the things that people stick their head in the sand over, and some stuff that people just find a bit difficult to ask about and want to know more. Um, it's set up with a love of Vicky and I trying to learn a little bit more, educating ourselves and others, and making the world a generally better place. Now, if you haven't joined us before, you won't know that this is a tradition, but join us again and you will. We talk about what we're drinking. So, George, what's in your cup today? Today I have um, the one and only Yorkshire tea, um, which I think is the one that you guys like, right? Is it Yorkshire yeah, gold? Is it gold? Oh, it's not Yorkshire gold. No. <gasps> Wait, I don't. I can. I don't even. I like other than the conversations <laughs> we've had. I've never even seen that. It's like a myth. Right, send know. me your address. I'm getting it to you. <laughs> Shipping but, it. I do have um, a Carlo's Bakery mug from the... Has anyone ever watched Cake Boss? Either of you watch Cake Boss or any yes. listeners? An actual mug from the actual bakery. Um, oh. I didn't go, but my partner did. Um, and she actually said it wasn't that great. <gasps> Outlandish, but apparently wasn't even that great. But Controversial, but bought a mug instead. Yeah, awesome <laughs> mugs. I love it. I love it. Um, and Vicky, what are you drinking? I am drinking Yorkshire tea multi-biscuit flavour nice yeah george is looking very very surprised I, yeah. I know no i've had it before and it is incredible i it love it amazing. so much it's so good i still yeah. haven't tried that one yet i'm all over the jam and toast one i love jam and toast you'll like the multi biscuit it's it's something special it really I'm, is i'm all about that malt flavor i don't if i don't know if either of you've had five guys but five guys used to do well they i'm saying used to now because it's a travesty um but they used to do a malted milkshake which is a Ooh. milkshake that was just pure malt flavor Ooh. and i was a, like in yeah they're just incredible um <laughs> and i went to five guys about a week or so ago and the person behind the counter didn't even know like they stopped doing it it didn't even know it exist and they've replaced it with a bacon flavored milkshake what? which what? i exactly that is the exact like multi milkshake was the best thing on the planet, and they replaced it with bacon flavor. Bacon. Horrendous. Hold on, milky bacon. Milky bacon. Oh, that is so grim. Yeah, I'm like, like, what is? Is this a limited edition thing? Is this? I need to know more, George. All I know is if the CEO of Five Guys happens to be listening to this podcast, <laughs> please, <laughs> please bring back the multi milkshake. Please. Do they have yeah. a variety of other flavors as well, like your bog standard strawberry chocolate yeah. vanilla? Yeah, they have all your all your uses. Um, but yeah, the malted one was just so good, and I don't know anyone else that does like a malted flavor no. milkshake. I've never heard do it in America. They they mm. kind of do all sorts. But of bacon, guys, come on, get it mm. together. That's upsetting. Well, I'm going to lighten the mood and tell you what I'm drinking. <laughs> um, I am drinking Bird and Blend and I ordered some more loose leaf tea this week. <laughs> and I've got wedding cake flavoured tea. She's obsessed, people. What? I am. Honestly, it's uh, the amount of tea I now have in the cupboard is just 
obscene i would probably say um but the uh, my little tea diffuser has bent and all the teas come out so it's all floating in the cup but it's vanilla sponge coconut and rose flavors that are a match made in heaven and they've got little sprinkles that have got all like little sugared sprinkles like you would get on a wedding cake i'm a bit disappointed katie because i saw on one of your instagram posts that you bought a strawberry nutella pancake flavor tea yes and i forgot it's pancake day i forgot i forgot didn't i because I have no one who can make pancakes. I can't believe it. I know. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, Vernon Blend. I've let myself down. I've let Vicky down. I've let it, the tea society world down. It's so sad that this is a podcast because Vicky's like physical reaction to you. <laughs> you not having the pancake tea was hilarious. It's disgust, isn't it? That's utter disgust right there. I'm sorry, Vicky. I don't know if we can do this anymore. But No, I know. Yeah. <sighs> there we are. Ten minutes of talking about your disgust for my tea choice. Uh I'll and let you take over now. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't start that. That was George. That is true. So that you could George. just me and George can go off and do this on our own this <laughs> week. You're just angry in your office. <laughs> oh anyway. We are so pleased to have our friend and member of the Strong Team family back with us today. Uh, George Mycock is the founder of Maya Minds, a company that worked to shine a light on and unravel what mental health means in the exercising community. Uh, he and his team lead on research projects alongside some of the UK's top universities, whilst also creating conversations through their social media and through the Maya Minds podcast. Check it out available on all major podcast channels. George, you've had quite a year. And even since we saw you last, you've appeared in Men's Health magazine in the US. You've contributed to the development of the community standards for the quality network of eating disorders. You did an incredibly powerful video with Mind, uh, promoting and supporting healthy relationships with um, physical activity. And not only that, you've just started a PhD investigating muscularity orientated psychosocial issues in men. Just just left anything out there, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, it's been a busy year. When you list it like that, it sounds really cool. I think in, to me, I feel like I've not, uh, I feel like it's, I don't know, it feels like it's other people's work and then I've just kind of done little bits. But I, I have to kind of be better at, um congratulating yeah. myself and saying that yeah that is cool that I've done those things my favorite is the um men's health magazine I was in the UK one as well as the US but the US one I was um Zach Efron was on the front of it and I can officially say I'm in the same magazine as Zach Efron which yeah, is pretty yeah. pretty sweet um <laughs> but do you know all the high school musical chat I I used to know this is so embarrassing <laughs> you know the the song when Troy aka Zach Efron is on the golf course in the second one and he's like um I forget I forget the song now but I used to know all the words and I knew the dance moves that he did I used to watch it and do the dance moves like in my living room I love that was this like a year ago (laughs) yeah yeah it's been six months so I can't remember now but uh, (laughs) no yeah is it my imagination or was that not really a golf course it looked more like the sort of Teletubbies set it had lots of mm. things going on, didn't it? Yeah, there's lots of little hills and yeah, Lala was in the back. So <laughs> probably hints. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a busy, busy year. Um yeah, the PH- I'm I'm currently four weeks into the um PhD, like a four official weeks in a way. I've been kind of working on it beforehand, but mm. um yeah, it's a lot. 
it's a lot. It's, it's really fun and it's great, but I am tired. Oh boy. Yeah. If you... <laughs> I can imagine. And I think with the nature of what you do and the topic that you talk about, um, it's obviously there's a lot of uh, emotional investment because of your experience in it, but also the, the passion behind wanting to teach other people, teach organizations, because I know you go around doing panel discussions and, and doing talks as well. But for the purposes of our listeners who perhaps haven't listened to the previous episode you were on, which was about uh, muscle dysmorphia, tell us tell us your story. Oh, wow. Okay, my story. Um, I'll try and keep it short because I think I, I went on for like 40 minutes last time <laughs> we did the podcast. <laughs> so if you want the in-depth version go to the last episode um, and listen to all the other ones on the way there as well. Um, <laughs> if you plugged me so well, I thought I'd plug you. Um, yeah, so my story. So yeah, long story short, um, I had uh, I have had a lot of issues around um, disordered eating, exercise addiction and body and muscle dysmorphia growing up. Um, when I was uh, a kid, um, I grew up on a zoo for one, um, but again, go back to the old podcast to hear more about that. Uh, I, um, a lot of my issues kind of came around not feeling masculine or manly enough, um, for most of my life as a, as a young boy and kind of growing up. And, um, because of that, I tried to take on behaviors as a way of proving this uh, masculinity that I wanted to show to other people. So I took on exercise and uh, watching what I ate and, you know, working really hard and pushing through pain and all that jazz in the gym to um, try and prove to myself and to other people that I was more than what I deep down felt I was. Um, and that led to yeah, these disordered behaviors around exercise, around um, eating. So, you know, obsessively tracking what I ate and feeling very stressed and, and very down when not being able to eat them for one meal or one snack or anything like that. Um, and feeling you know, kind of overwhelmingly aware of people seeing my body in certain ways and in ways that I didn't think they should see it or ways that it shouldn't be, uh, you know, think ways that I should hide it away. At least I thought, um, and that led to, um, yeah, kind of severe poor mental health to the point where I was suicidal and, um, yeah, kind of got very far in that, um, yeah, journey. And then luckily I uh, had some great friends and a very lovely family who supported me out of that, and I have been seeing a counsellor. Uh, I think I've probably done four or five years of counselling collectively now. Um, I, I love counselling. I still I still see my counsellor now like once a month, more as like a developmental thing rather than trying to, um, yeah, kind of fix anything. Because I'm 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 doing pretty good at the moment. But yeah, that's the kind of short short version. And today we're we're kind of homing in and focusing on exercise addiction. Um, so from your experience and obviously in your professional capacity, what, what does exercise addiction look and feel like? Mm, good question. Um, so the kind of, I suppose from, from a theoretical standpoint or from the research standpoint, exercise addiction uh, encompasses both an exercise dependence and an exercise compulsion. And they're both quite similar. Um, but the way that I could describe them is, 
Um, dependence uh, kind of says on the tin, um, it's when you're depending on exercise for a certain means. So for a lot of people, it's um, I have to exercise to look after my mental health or, you know, if I don't exercise, I can't, I can't do anything else. Um, you know, I, I need to do it. It's the, and it's the, usually it's the only coping mechanism that that person has in order to deal with their mental health. Um, and yes, yeah, so they depend on it. And then there's compulsion, which is, um, again, that sense of urgency and a sense of need to do things. I, one thing that I've often said around my kind of compulsive behaviors from my lived experience point of view, a good way to, I suppose, explain it or help people be kind of empathetic towards those behaviors. Because I think often when you hear like, oh, I couldn't help but exercise or I couldn't for me like with binges I couldn't help but binge eat, or with my bulimia I couldn't help but make myself sick or, or whatever um I think people often think well you could um but the, the the way it kind of feels it's almost like if you hold your breath and then you obviously get this urge of wanting to take a breath and you know like really you could survive longer if you didn't take a breath but your body kind of just makes you it just feels so normal that that's kind of how it feels it's it's not a sense of oh i could do this and yeah i'll one i'll do it because it feels good it's like i need to do this otherwise something terrible is going to happen to me the same way you'd i guess the same way you'd feel if you held your breath and you think oh i need to take a breath otherwise something bad's going to happen but really you probably could hold your breath for a bit longer um it's that kind of feeling of of just urgency this needs to happen um, and that's where that kind of um, compulsivity comes in. So those two together is is what we'd call exercise addiction. I think that breathing analogy there that you just used is actually really quite powerful because I, I've always wondered, and we've asked so many different people that have had issues with drugs and drink and all sorts on this show, what it, what addiction feels like. And that's the sort of realist thing that I can understand to relate to. Now, I guess people are going to see the title of this show and listen to this and think exercise addiction, you know, like how can anyone get addicted to exercise? You know, like I'm, I have to drag myself kicking and screaming to the gym. And I, you know, I know not everyone's like that, but a lot of people will go a couple of times a week and things like that, but it's, you know, you've, you've talked about it there with binge eating. Is it, This is a really serious issue for some people, isn't it? I mean, how bad did it get for you? When did you realize I've got a real problem here with exercise addiction. Mm. I'm going to answer this. I'm going to do my best not to give like specific numbers of how often I'm doing. I'm sure you, you weren't asking about that anyway, just because I don't want to give people like a, an idea of what, you know, what yeah. they, what they should do or, you know, comparing it to me. Um, but I guess, yeah, I guess the, the issue was that so often what happens when you are exercising a lot is you tend to get within a community and this will make sense. <laughs> um, you tend to get into a community that of people who also exercise a lot because you're, you know, in the gym all the time, you see them all the time, you kind of make friends with them and you get this kind of social sphere that exercises a lot. And um, then when you're exercising a lot, what tends to happen is your friends who don't exercise a lot say, oh, that's weird. You're exercising a lot. They maybe take the mick out of you or, you know, there's some, some kind of um, banter going on there. So you you don't speak to them quite as much. And then your social circle gets smaller and it's you've only got these people who have extreme levels of exercise. So your norm of what's a normal amount of exercise kind of goes up. Um, 
And then that kind of happens over and over again as, as UX has a bit more, some more people question it. So you get rid of them. And eventually your level of norm for what is a normal amount of exercise is so high that, you know, then for me, it was so high that even if I halved it, I was probably doing as much, if not more than you know, 99% of my friends. Um, and, but to me, even 1% less of what I was expected to do. So, you know, so I was doing double what anyone else was doing. Um, and, you know, again, I don't want to give specific numbers, but, you know, around double, I would probably say of what everyone else was doing. But even if I did one less of something or, you know, like five minutes less of something, it would be ca- catastrophic to me to the point where, you know, I would see my body differently. I would be mostly because I'd become so fearful of the way that my body might have changed because I didn't do something that I would be checking it a lot. And I would, I would kind of, I would be staring in the mirror for hours and looking at different angles, trying to find, you know, pinching parts of my body and kind of sucking in and, and blowing out. And, and you're just trying to find something that I could, that I could be feel is wrong. Um, but yeah, but it get it gets to that point where you, you can be doing such excessive amounts because it becomes that norm for you that you know, even when you're still, you know, the tiniest little bit less, which is still significantly more than what most people and what I should be, should have been doing, which suddenly is you know, the end of the world for me. When you said about getting part of that community and doubling the efforts that other people were doing, does it almost become like competitive, like almost like a damaging uh, expectation or realism or d- does that make sense like almost competition with yourself as well as other people uh, yeah 100 percent um I, I probably during this podcast i'll probably be make make reference to eating disorders quite a lot and i'll just kind of say for now that um so there's a study by a guy called mike trott who found that um people with eating disorders are 3.5 times more likely to have exercise addiction than any other people that so they're they're very closely related but the reason i'm saying that is because eating disorders in which this tends to link to are kind of well known for being very competitive and my experiences was alongside an eating disorder and they they are quite competitive in that you know you can you can see what you're comparing yourself you know it's normally a body related thing or at least a behavior related thing um, so you can, it's very easy to start comparing yourself and often as well, some of the, the reasons someone develops an eating disorder or disordered behaviors with eating or um, exercise or, or their body image in general tends to be because they compare themselves. So, so social physique comparison is quite a common, um, kind of precursor to developing issues. In fact, it's one of the mediators between, um, the use of social media and getting like body dissatisfaction. Um, so people, so, you know, we, we often talk about how when you look at social media, you, it can you it's really bad for your mental health and it can make you kind of develop eating disorders and stuff. And, um, but some of the research that people have looked at is actually there's a mediating factor in the middle. So, you know, if um, looking at social media is on the left and then getting disordered eating is on the right, there's a bit in the middle that has to pass through and that is social phys- physique comparison. So you can, if you look at social media um, you tend to then compare yourself to other people's physiques much more than any someone who doesn't look at social media. So that leads to disordered eating and, and things. Um, and I, I forget what the original question was now. <laughs> um, this happens to me a lot. Um, but but yes, yeah, so that's quite interesting. So there, there is that kind of um, link there as well. 
Um, you talked about a reference that was made there about how many more times likely it is that someone who has an eating disorder has the exercise addiction. Mm. It doesn't seem like this, the phrase exercise addiction, I'd not actually heard that before we started talking to you about it. It doesn't seem like it's very talked about. It seems mm. it does seem like obviously the topic of the show is taboo topics. Is it is it just something that a small percentage of people suffer from? So it's not talked about a lot, or is it just something that is almost pushed under the rug and not discussed during the well, I suppose the sports and fitness industry, but just generally? So yeah, so I have several answers to that. Um I guess I'll start I'll start off with um how prevalent it is because it's actually a lot more prevalent than we would maybe suspect so um mike trot again the guy that i mentioned before or um, some of his research he found that 8.1 percent of general exercises have um up to the clinical cutoff for exercise addiction um and about five and a half percent of athletes amateur athletes which doesn't sound like awful lot but it's it's you know quite a considerable amount it's, it's you know, for general exercises that's what one in 20 or something something like that or maybe maybe more than that yeah yeah i can't i'm bad at maths <laughs> um and there's also um one in 11 fitness instructors um reach the clinical cutoff for compulsive exercise which is very closely linked as i mentioned before it's one of the components of exercise addiction so a lot of people do and then also um you mentioned my film um that, with a, that I worked on with the team from my um, from Minds, um, and with Mind we've also made some um, thing like resources for the general public and for the sport and physical activity sector. And we did some well, Mind did some research for us whilst we were whilst we were doing that, and they found that thirty eight percent of people. Um, use exercise as a way to manage their emotions, um, which is one of the um, factors for it. It's no normally the problem comes in when it's the only way, but still, it's you know that's one in three people doing that. Um, Eighteen percent take part in exercise or sport when they're unwell or injured, which is another common factor of exercise addiction. Is pushing you know, doing exercise even if you're sick or even if you're injured, and that's you know eighteen percent. Um, and 39% of people said that they felt guilty when missing a session of exercise or sport. And again, that guilt, depending on how severe it is, can be a symptom. Um, but, you know, that's they're incredibly high percentages. Um, mm. And then on your your thing about it being taboo, I think I think part of the issue is really complicated because I think when you know, when I, I obviously talk about the kind of negative sides of mental health and exercise quite a lot. And I think people tend to assume that means I don't like exercise or I think it's bad for people. And I really don't, um, you know, exercise is great for people. And I think part of the reason that we don't hear about this or we don't often talk about it is because it's so wonderful for a lot of people. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the kind of exercise is medicine um, regime is actually like a, an official um, thing in America. Uh, I think it was founded in like 2007 and it's spread across the world. Basically, I think it's in like 48 countries now, this whole like idea of exercise is medicine. Um, and it, you know, it's pushed on by doctors. It's pushed on by um, kind of any healthcare profession that you see is the idea that exercise is really good for you. And it is in so many ways, but, and I'm not trying to denounce that. I think that it's just that there needs to be a little bit added on at the end there, which is, you know, exercise is really great for you and um, but it can go too far or it can it can be problematic so I was going to ask you actually where the line is 
because mm. we talked we did an episode about social media toxicity and we we very you know briefly talked about fitspo you know those if, uh, inspirational um people who just you know post themselves doing you know burpees and mm-hmm. lifting weights and and then you've got the likes of um the delightful you know Davina McCall who you know works hard for her physique but she's all over there with her six pack and so on looking amazing but the, where's the line where's mm-hmm. the line of encouraging people to use fitness as medicine and where is it that the fitness industry is actually unhealthily pushing mm. people mm. into it? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where do you um, think the line is? It's a it's a really tough um, mm. question to answer, and I guess my my boring answer <laughs> is that it, it's different for everyone, um, which mm. tends to be the answer for a lot of things. Um, it exists very different for every person, but I think a common factor that comes up comes from the meaning of your exercise. So if your exercise is being, you're doing it to be healthy or you're doing it to have fun or doing it to you enjoy and, or you're doing it to, to make friends or you're doing it for these kind of factors that don't revolve so much around the way that you look um, or through punishment or, you know, or, or through comparison, potentially um i think that tends to lead to a more positive relationship with exercise um whereas when it is about i you know i need to be better than these people um, or i need to look this certain way a lot of need coming in anyway a lot of like you know i need to do this mm-hmm. um, and i might have spoke about this on the last on the last part i did with you you guys because this kind of closely relates to what the stuff that we spoke about before um, but we often in the kind of exercise addiction literature, they talk about um, positive and negative feedback loops and a really kind of classic way that this can become exercise can become a problem is you start off with the positive feedback loop, which is I want to do exercise more because um, so I start doing exercise more. Um, I, you know, my body changes um, or, you know, I make some friends or I find that I'm less anxious. So now I want to do some more exercise. So I keep doing exercise and I, I keep doing I do a bit more. Um, but then the problem is where that want can become, you know, I, I do more exercise. Uh, I make more friends or my anxiety goes down or my body changes, but now I need to keep doing it or I need to keep doing more. Otherwise I think I'm going to lose my friends or I think I'm going to, my body's going to go back to where it was, or I think that my anxiety is going to come back. Um, and that that's where that's a big kind of point of it becoming an issue. I think uh, my question was similar to Vicky's in the sense that I wanted to kind of talk about the parameters around um, exercise addiction. I mean, there seems that I'm trying to work out and, you know, I know you said it's been different, it's different for everyone and there's very much a want versus need um, argument there, Mm. but how would someone go about diagnosing um, something like this? Because it seems like, you know, some people, it might be a lot, some people, it might not be a lot. Mm. It seems like there's a lot of things to consider in order to diagnose something like that, which means, no, do you know what? You've got a serious problem. You need to get it sorted versus actually this person just loves exercise. Well, I, I can give you a very short answer there, which is you can't diagnose it. Um, that it's not, so it's, it was when they, um, 
I think I read this a long time ago, so I might be butchering this. So I apologize to anyone who's read this more recently. <laughs> I've said the wrong thing here, but I, I got the gist right. But when they made the DSM-5s, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual 5th edition, which is what doctors and, and people who don't know use to diagnose you with several things, um, the, um, they mentioned exercise addiction as a form of behavioral addiction. So you have kind of um, addictions that come from your physical addiction where, you know, you take a certain substance or you take something and then your body physically is addicted to that thing. And now certain chemical reactions won't happen if you don't take it and then you get really ill. And then there's behavioral addictions, which are things like gambling and um, sex addiction and, and also exercise addiction, which is where you are doing a behavior and you get things from that. And then you feel like you can't, you can't stop. Um, and they recognized that, but they said that there wasn't enough evidence at the time to be able to say that it was a diagnosis. Um, but I think really what it is, is, is the, the, the conversation we're having here is, you know, how can we tell people <laughs> that they shouldn't exercise or they they're doing, you know, because part of the issue comes in that for, you know, exercise is like I said, is really healthy for a lot of people. And also, for a lot of people doing a lot of exercise makes sense. And, you know, if they, if they, they play in a sport or if they, you know, or even you know, professional or amateur athletes in general, there's, they need to do a lot of exercise to some degree. Um, and you know, where, where does that relationship come in where that's a, an addiction or not? And it's, it's just really tough. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why it's a struggle. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think it, I think a lot of it comes down or kind of, you know, if we're looking at how to spot if there's an issue um, or, you know, someone's going to spot if there's an issue, I think it comes down to that self-reflection and, um, you know, that's where counselling comes in and just kind of having conversations about in general and recognising whether it's a need, whether it's something that you've now, you're now depending on and being, yeah. you have those compulsions to do. It's interesting that you've you've just touched on a couple of those things there because it sounds like from the words that you've used throughout this chat so far, you've used the words obsessive and compulsive. And obviously obsessive compulsive disorder is a huge uh, mental health issue um, that is diagnosed. So it mm. seems crazy that the exercise addiction is something that's so undiagnosable. Mm. No, yeah, it is. It's it's really, um, yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think I, I, I honestly, you know, I'm, I am very much talking at my ass here because you know I obviously wasn't involved in those discussions, so I can't say. But it 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 reads to me so much that it was just too tough of a. Th it's just the the conversation around exercise is far too complicated, and I think I think what's likely going to be the case is we'll need you know, even more evidence of exercise addiction or about exercise addiction for it to become diagnosable more so than we would with other things yeah. because, because other things can be, you know, we, we can kind of label them as bad, you know, in air quotes, yeah. um, you know, like taking drugs and things, we can just say, oh, that's bad. So we'll say that's a, a bad addiction. So we can diagnose that easy, but exercise has that really weird line of it is really good for you in so many ways. Um, so I think what's going to, yeah, what's probably going to be the case is that we're going to need seriously solid evidence and a really, really good understanding and underpinning of exactly how it looks. And I don't think we're near that yet is the problem. Um, you know, we don't even have, you know, again, we're kind of kind of touching on what we spoke about last time and what I'm doing my PhD in, but even the the scales or the measurements that we use for compulsive exercise and exercise addiction often don't separate between or don't a lot of them don't even mention 
um, more scolarity orientated exercise. So, you know, weightlifting, which can also be a form of exercise addiction. Um, but it's always, it's always tends to be kind of related to cardio and running on a treadmill or, you know, doing, doing exercise to, to lose weight um, rather than trying to build muscle. So there's even, there's that whole side of it that we, we barely even touched yet. And we're not even there with the bit that we have touched. So, you know, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a while. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. How, because we obviously with that comparison OCD and the fact, like you just said, we're nowhere near getting to the crux of, you know, how we get around this. But how, in your personal experience and through the research that you're doing, how do you possibly break this exercise addiction cycle on an individual level and as a society level? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> uh, solve it. Solve it. Okay. Um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, well, let, me, let me just crack my knuckles uh, and then I'll solve it for you. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll start off with a personal level. So I think that there are several things that you can do to try and help your own relationship with exercise. Um, I think one of them is, like I mentioned before, that kind of self-awareness. And I think, you know, therapy and speaking to somebody else about the way you, you're thinking and feeling and writing it down journaling and that kind of thing and just understanding how you feel around exercise or even you know keeping a diary every time you do exercise of, of how you feel beforehand and how you feel afterwards and you know the, are you are you feeling really anxious every time you're going to go and exercise you because you feel like i need to do this need to do this and then as soon as you don't you go oh like a sense of relief you know that could be a potential sign to some to some degree um, again, not always, but, you know, it's something, one of the things that could come up um, as for like, I suppose, um, practical things you could do. Uh, one is, you know, try and prioritize taking rest and, you know, try and it's probably going to feel uncomfortable at first. And I understand that as someone who's who's been through it, but, you know, trying to do your best to work in and plan ahead rest days and plan ahead rest, rest intervals, wherever you can. Um you know, try and avoid setting goals around your body shape and body weight. So, you know, shape and weight concern is what we tend to call it in the research. Um, that is normally very closely linked to compulsive exercise and to eating disorders, disordered eating. So, you know, try and keep your goals away from it affecting your body. Try and look at performance and, and you know, um, health in, instead um and then a, a big factor as well can be you know uh, creating a group you know doing it with friends you know uh, doing it with friends often can mean that it helps you highlight how much you're doing um you know if you are doing it in you know very very high amount then um you know it probably will show up if you kind of bring some of your friends in and, and it might help you kind of slow down a bit because you can focus on enjoying it with them more so than trying to push yourself really really hard again there's, there's a line there as well because you might you don't some people might hear that and go, oh yeah, I'll go bring all my triathlete friends into the gym and I'll, <laughs> I'll do it with them. And, but, you know, so again, but if that, if that's what you immediately think, then maybe that's a thing to think about. Um, societally, uh, there's, <laughs> there's a lot. Um, I think, yeah, I, I guess I would, first of all, say we already mentioned the kind of exercises medicine idea, um, I think that's been taken on by a lot of society um, from kind of all over the world. And I think it's a very easy thing to just say, okay, yeah, exercise is great. Tell everyone to do it. Everyone should do more of it. Job done. Um, let's just tick that off the list and then we're, we're finished. I think we need to recognize that it's more complicated than that. 
um, and recognize that it's more nuanced for a lot of people. And like I said, that line exists for a lot of people. Um, yeah, exists differently for a lot of people. Um, but then also I think the messaging coming from the communities that, that exist around exercise. So, you know, I've spoken about the fitness community a lot and probably spoke about it on our last podcast. Um, but the general messaging from the fitness community tends to be, uh, from a moral underpinning of, if you do more exercise, you're a better person. Um, and that's not true. Um, and that's, that's a problem in that, you know, especially for younger people who are looking for, you know, a way to live their life or trying to find where morals exist. And you are very kind of malleable to that. If someone on there who's got, you know, 10 million followers and is getting likes and comments from people all the time is going, I'm, you know, I'm great because I can do X amount of laps on a pitch or I'm great because I can lift X amount of weight and I do X amount of sessions a week and I eat this way and whatever. Yeah. That's a problem because then you're telling these people that they have to be able to do the same thing when, you know, sometimes even physiologically they can't, you know, it'd be, it's, it's impossible because of their genetics even, um, let alone that, you know, how much effort they're going to put in. But then also, you know, there's so many other life factors. You don't know, you know, the, their socioeconomic background could play a factor. And, you know, the, there's so many parts to a person that makes it incredibly difficult to be able to say you know and not even that but even just you know i did my master's degree in um sport and exercise nutrition so i you know i'm big kind of into nutrition and the physiology and stuff i used to um yeah study that quite a lot you know even even just looking at like a biological level you know if i did the exact same training regime regime and ate the exact same way that cristiano ronaldo does i wouldn't come out with the exact same body as him um but often in social in the social media and the kind of fitness world that's often how it's termed is you don't look like this and you don't perform like this because you're not doing the you're not putting the amount of effort in that i am but again we're so even just biologically we're so much more complicated than that and the conversation isn't nuanced enough around that it doesn't factor that in I think that's really interesting um, what you just said there um, and it sort of segues nicely into my uh, next question. It talks about the impact of social media and the things that people are posting which can be um, damaging the impact on other people because they're saying you're, you're not putting the effort in mm. just because you don't look like me but some people can't achieve that. You've talked about your own experience and the way that you would go home and look in the mirror and squeeze parts of you and, you know, and be very critical of yourself. I see that as quite a sort of mental um, side of things. Uh, sorry, uh, physical side of things. But in terms of your mental health, how does exercise addiction really impact on that? Apart from the obvious of it's incredibly draining I'd imagine to just be constantly on that treadmill to, not literal mm. treadmill but you know what I mean the, the yeah. hamster wheel of thinking I've got to go and exercise how else does it impact you mentally that's a good question um I suppose I suppose a, a lot of it is what accompanies it I think there's a big a, a, one of the big emotions that tends to accompany exercise addiction is shame and I think that's the same with a lot of addiction in that you know I set myself a certain threshold in which I need to achieve and whenever I anyway and that that threshold 
kind of constantly grows you know every time i reach it i think then it, it can't be high enough you know it must be higher otherwise i wouldn't have reached it and then when eventually i don't reach it and then i feel this immense amount of shame that i'm not good enough to actually you know to 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 achieve what i'm supposed to achieve um I think, yeah, the, the kind of general anxiety of comparing yourself to others, um, the, especially when your exercise addiction revolves around your weight and shape concern, which it tends to, um, that means that you're putting, you know, you're putting so much effort into changing the way that you look that if someone makes a negative comment or if you see yourself in a negative view it's soul crushing because you feel like you're putting your everything into this and you're you're almost you know you you're you know you're the way you the way you look or the way that people perceive you suddenly becomes the most important thing in the world because you're putting so much effort into it so a net one negative comment can be you know traumatic it can be this huge thing um and also you know talk if you know we're talking about um exercise addiction one of the things that exercise addiction can lead on to is red s which is relative energy deficiency in sport um which is basically um in the kind of um easy way to explain it is that when you're doing when you're burning more energy than what you're putting in um to a severe extent um your body goes into kind of an energy saving mode where it slows down certain processes and reduces certain things um so for for in, in women and and in female athletes it tends to be a loss of period and loss of menstrual cycle so your body starts to shut that down because that's burning energy and the body thinks that's unnecessary right now so I'll stop it and um, there's also all sorts of things so um you tend to get weaker bones like your bone structure gets weaker and um, um, because your body says well we shouldn't bother replacing bone density right now because we're starving you know we we, you know, we haven't got enough energy so we need to slow that down and then one of the other things it can do is it can slow down certain processes in the brain um, and also you tend to have very low blood glucose levels and and glucose is one of the few molecules that can kind of cross or one of the few nutrients that can cross the blood brain barrier so your brain runs off of glucose quite a lot so you you even just cognitively you can't you're not as as there you know you're you're not as quick and you you struggle with thinking and you um, yeah, you can find your memory gets worse and you know, there's all sorts of kind of like physiological things that can happen. And then that likely leads to more stress and, and feeling depressed and feeling anxious because you notice these actual changes that are happening to you. Um, yeah. And red S is very complicated and we can talk more about that if you want to, but yeah. As, as you're talking, it's because I'm, this sounds like it's going complete tangent, but it's not. Um, I'm a massive fan of um, Strongman, uh, World's Strongest Man. I've been to the UK Strongest Man a couple of times. I've been to the Heats, been to Giants. I absolutely love it. And I admire it more because of the dedication, the kind of, not just that the fact that they can lift amazing weights and, you know, lift cars and stuff, but it's the dedication. It's the, it's the challenge. It's the power. It's the mind over matter kind of approach, which is almost you know, optimum human of, of battle against wits um, with your body. But as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking, you know, if people say negative things about people's bodies and it sets them in a spiral, when you've got a body that is actually your livelihood, when it is the thing that's bringing you money, when it is the thing that is built to compete against others, I can't imagine the pressure and I know you you said before about the percentage of professional athletes that have it. 
but this is it sounds like this is a real gateway to exercise addiction actually being more prevalent than we know and i'm mm. not just talking about strongman i'm talking about in, in all fields of sport yeah yeah well the the they use the word dedication there that's a big one that tends to be pushed in in the kind of uh, media and the and social medias and the kind of um communities with it around exercise is the idea that you have to be dedicated and you know, what does dedication mean it, it means different things to different people and you know the amount of exercise you have to do in order to classify as a dedicated person almost as it doesn't exist because you could do a certain amount and someone will say that's dedicated and then someone else say oh well i've been doing that for 10 years and then you go okay i'll do it for 10 years and then someone says oh well you could do it for 20 years and then you know so you just you never you'll never reach it so it's this kind of constant you have to keep going um which is you know again it can these things can be positive you know being dedicated is obviously a nice trait in a lot of in a lot of ways but it's just the way that we kind of um yeah we push those messages but strong ones are really interesting one um because you know and it's the same with a, a lot most sports um you know, you're right that when your livelihood relies on the way your body performs that can be a, a big factor and i think we we often see athletes when they retire they tend to go through depression and go through um, <clears throat> struggles because I think part of it is because, you know, they were mega famous and they were known for being this, this mm -hmm. thing. But I think also what tends to happen is that they're not exercising as much and, and they've relied on exercise for them for a lot of their life. And they probably have some struggles around feeling lost and not feel, you know, it must be weird to not suddenly have this expectation to do a certain amount and then being like, am I supposed to keep doing that? Or, you know, I'm, I'm getting older now. I'm, I'm not competing. So should, do I need to do that much? And that, that must be tough. Um, but it also, you know, with strong man, you the you again you have to do a lot of exercise you have to be training um in order to perform and in order to to do that and you have to do that for a lot of sports and that's where that line again comes in which is difficult um you know but also i think you know one of the great things about strongman and i am also a big follower of kind of weightlifting sports in general um but strongman in particular you know they they talk so much about rest because in order to grow strength you know a, a big part of strength training is resting and you know you push your muscle and you push your nervous system to a certain point and then you sleep <laughs> you have to you have to rest and you have to give it enough food and, and things so i think they that tends to be a healthier relationship to some degree you know again there are extremes and and you know strong men push themselves to absolute extremes and, and then that's a whole other conversation of whether is that a problem is that disordered or is that okay and um yeah i think it ex again exists for different people and and also you know there's also that idea of you know a lot of people use exercise instead of taking dangerous drugs or instead of um, drinking dangerous levels of alcohol. And you could say that is inherently healthier. So that's okay. Um, and, you know, again, it's, it's, it exists on this kind of line. Um, but again, you know, I, I, I suppose I would say that um, we shouldn't be, you know, just comparing which of the unhealthy things is the least unhealthy <laughs> is the, is the thing, isn't it? Um mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, I've kind of waffled on there. But yeah, really, really um, cool point. I think it's interesting what you've both said there, because I have in the last two weeks become obsessed, and I mean obsessed, with the new show on Netflix called Physical 100. Oh, mm. 
Um, and for anyone that hasn't seen it yet, it's basically an endurance kind of competition and there's a hundred people and it's set in Korea and it's every type of person is that I mean you've got crossfitters you've got weight weightlifters you've got bodybuilders you've got world strongest men and the thing that keeps coming back when they interview people in the sort of the little segments between things is when people go out they say oh I, you know, I've let myself down, you know, and you just think, oh my God, these people are competing on a level, which is so far away from me sitting on the sofa, drinking tea and watching this, <laughs> but, but they still feel that shame. Mm. I guess, you know, the point that you made there about these people need to, to train so hard to perform, like, I'm still trying to get my head around the fact that that line is so fine mm. that it and it, it's undiagnosable. But what would you say? I guess the question is twofold. But if you think someone that you know has an issue with exercise addiction, what could they do to support or help that person? But you know, and to because that person's probably in the zone with this is so healthy, I mm. must do this. And also, if someone again themselves is in that zone of I'm doing this, this is great for my body, I'm, you know, doing all the right things, when actually, like from what you've said, the physiological impacts for some people and the mental health impacts is quite severe. Mm. So how do you kind of get the message across or what would you say to people, you know, who who have exercise addiction or know people that might do? Mm. I get it is, it's always the... the I'm going to give advice here, but obviously I'm giving very blanket advice and it differs for everyone. But um, my, so I think this podcast is a great way of a great excuse to um, bring up to people who you might be worried about. Um, and I think often a really good way to do it is divert it onto yourself within a conversation with someone you're worried about in that you can say, oh, you know, I was listening to this podcast about exercise addiction and they were talking about other addictions as well, these behavioral addictions and how we can be addicted to all these different things in different ways. And I'm worried that I'm, you know, I might have something because we all do. I think there's a guy called Gabor Mate, who's a, a brilliant um, psychologist. You guys are nodding slash smiling. So I imagine you've maybe heard of him. <laughs> Um, that he he often talks about how everyone's addicted to something. Everyone has an addiction to something. And so it's very likely that if you're listening to this, you probably have an addiction to something, whatever that is. It might be working or you know, whatever it might be. Um, social media, all sorts of stuff. Um, you could bring that up and and that could be a good way of saying, you know, do you think you have any kind of issues around that, that kind of thing? Or do you, or do you is there is there anything that you think you struggle with? Because apparently we all do. They were talking about this Gabo Mate guy who says we all do. Um, yeah, that can be a way to open up that that conversation um what you know i think i'm pretty sure i definitely brought this up on the pod last time i feel like i keep um, regurgitating what i said before but um one thing that's really important is being supportive with that person i think the the key message i can put across here if you do speak to somebody else is being empathetic rather than sympathetic in that you don't don't feel sorry for them like they're this weaker or or less than person for being uh, having a, a potential addiction or some kind of disordered behavior with something you know and recognize that we all have some kind we all rely on different things we all depend on different things and it's just that 
some of us end up depending on one thing solely and that becomes a, a problem. And you, so you're not, you're not feeling sorry for them. You're recognizing that they're on a similar existence to you, but maybe they've just gone a bit far um, and, you know, they're not less than you and just being there to, to listen to them and talk to them about yeah. what, what's going on. Um, as for yourself, um, I think, I think if this podcast has made you question it at all, um, then I would, and you know, we like I said, there's there's an a cred, just from the mind stats, there's there's a lot of people who experience the symptoms of of compulsive exercise or exercise addiction. So probably a lot of people listening to this will um, recognize it if if you if you do exercise. Um, you just, I think journaling is a really good place to start. Just writing down your thoughts about exercise, or, or like I said, keeping a track, keeping a little diary when you do exercise to see how you feel if you are worried about it. And um, also, obviously, talk talking to your GP, talking to um, psychologists or a counselor or anyone like that um, is definitely useful. Um, and yeah, and like I said before, those kind of practical tips of um, you know try and set set goals around um performance rather than the way you look um and try and make sure you work in rest and then also you know, try and make exercise fun and try and make it a way of connecting with other people rather than just going in there and doing your amount that you have to do and then leaving i love the way you've reframed all that as well kind of it's not mm. just don't go just stop it's actually reframing it look see how mm. you can look at it differently mm. yeah that's really great advice as you know at the end of every episode, we ask every anyone if they've got a final sip. Any words that they want to say, anything that's on their mind, any any kind of plugging they'd like to do or anything they'd like to leave our listeners with. So, George, what's your final sip? I love how you've said anything on your mind. Anything like it's not, mind. doesn't even need to be related to exercise. Just fill out what you need to. Uh, I have got one that's that is related. Um <laughs> Wait, I've, I've kind of I've kind of I've kind of already spoiled it um or kind of already said it but I think that my take home message from this or I think the the best message I can give around exercise is make it fun um I think we all experience exercise in different ways and a lot of the exercise that's pushed on us is going to a gym and lifting weights or going to a gym running on a treadmill or running or you know walking and for a lot of people that's really boring and and they don't like that so you know, be experimental with with your physical activity or exercise or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it can be weightlifting or walking and running outside, but it could also be you know a sport like rock climbing or hockey or whatever, or it could just be you know like dancing with your dog or or like you know or you know it could be all sorts of stuff. You can you, know, you can play tag with your kids or you know you, you whatever whatever you can come up with. Um, make it fun rather than. You, it does, don't think about the optimal way to do it think about the way that you'll enjoy if you want to do it um that's the best way uh, so that's my that's my take home my final sip i love that. what's next for you george um i've got three four years of phd life to go through um my brain i'm currently um, knee deep in the philosophy of research anyone out there who has looked into ontology or epistemology or paradigms and will understand my pain um <laughs> very confusing subjects uh, if you're about to read into them i i'm sorry for what you're about to experience uh, honestly yeah it's really confusing um 
but yeah, I've got a lot of uh, PhD to go through. Um, yeah, I've got some more stuff with Maya Minds kind of in the works. We've got um, this might, this, I don't know how long it's going to be till this comes out, but um, next week as of when we're recording this is Eating Disorders Awareness Week. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a um, kind of collab with the charity First Steps ED, um, which are a really fantastic eating disorder charity. And um, we're doing it all about gym culture and some of the stuff we spoke about today. So we do, we've got an event and we've got different blogs coming out and different things like that. Uh, I'm doing talks for a few NHS services during that week and and all sorts of different bits and bobs. Um, and yeah, I'm just kind of, yeah, pushing with my PhD. I'm going to be, if people are out there who work in uh, healthcare services or are men who experience muscularity, orientated issues like muscle dysmorphia or exercise addiction or disordered eating around muscularity trying to become more muscular um please feel free to drop me an email because i'll be after people to interview and stuff in the future for some of my research so there's my there's my plug (laughs) um (laughs) yeah i'm excited uh, for what's what the next few years are going to bring do you not have too much then no not much no Okay. I, I love how you started this and you were like, I'm tired. And then you're like, oh, I've got all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, no, get some sleep in now. Get some sleep in. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you once again, George, for returning and chatting with us. It's been great. And I, I think you're a fantastic guest. I could just sit and chat all day, but I'm sad you didn't bring up the zoo this time. So anyone yeah. who wants to know. Sorry go back to the first episode might have a, a topic to cover that is you know people that's you know lived on zoos and then yeah. you have to again. <laughs> yes please i'll do that every Container time it around you yeah fantastic <laughs> thanks for having me thank you again no thank you and thanks everyone for tuning in and listening to another episode of strong tea uh, we'd love to have you back for more um so keep listening we le- release a new episode every friday and we have a huge back catalog available on spotify and all other major platforming platforms platforming podcasting, podcasting platforms. platforms that's the one um but if you like what you hear and you want to support us check out our website because we do have a support us page where you can buy us a coffee or a tea or any sort okay. of Prosecco. Prosecco would be good. I, I could deal with a Prosecco now. Or just a nice sparkling mineral water, nice and healthy. Um, but we've loved having you and uh, we're lo- looking forward to seeing you again soon. So thanks very much. Thank good Lord. I'm glad <laughs> when this episode is over and I can learn to speak again. <laughs> thanks everyone for tuning in and we will see you again very, very soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.